0: What is the thing that we can all do to really support the growth and development of this child and raise their
1: own belief in what's possible? The educational landscape has shifted. The social mobility is very segregated. Therefore, politically, the same thing is happening. The decisions
0: you make around that child's education
1: are of paramount importance. What can we do that would make educators' lives better? How do we make change that you can see in the classroom?
0: They don't have summers off. They're not on a break. Most of the time that kids are not in school, teachers are still working. To impact our urban public schools, to impact the life of a child. We really wanted to elevate the profile of our city as well as elevate the opportunities that exist in education here. I'm Jen Maestas and you're listening to Miss Education. Well, hey everyone. Thanks for joining us today. I am looking forward to to the next hour or so. Um, I'm so appreciative, Anthony, for you making time today. I know that you are swamped and it's been crazy and it's the spring. And we were just saying right now, like we're, we have spring aller. We are those people that have spring allergies. So it's been a week. So if I sound all stuffy, that's why I, <laughs> I don't. I don't know how to get around it. I do all the things I'm supposed to do. I take my allergy medicines, I drink a lot of water, I try to... And the mask, you would think wearing a mask would help too.
1: The allergies here are, are ruthless. It's, there's no stopping.
0: I Or snow vid. I thought the snow would have killed the juniper trees. I'm like, come on. <laughs> but no. So we're sitting here anyway. We're here anyway. <laughs> I'm sitting with Anthony Gordon today. Um, And I'm going to let him give you a brief intro and try not to be impressed. Just try.
1: (laughs) I don't know how impressive it is, but, uh, hi everybody. Anthony Gordon. I am the founder and executive director revolution public schools and their first, uh, charter campus, which will be S H James preparatory Academy. Um, originally from Detroit, Michigan, uh, Been in Texas, wow, 16 years now. Uh, Have a lot of history here in San Antonio. Uh, My grandfather was S.H. James, whose school will be named after. He was the first Black city councilman for the city. And my mother was also a part of the group that integrated SAISD. She was bused from the east side of San Antonio to Jefferson High School, along with a group of students in 1959. Um, I ended up teaching here many years later on the East side and, and just falling in love with the community. Um, that's why we're launching a school on the East side. Um, in my spare time, I am a husband and a father, um, three daughters, and a brand new baby boy. He's nine weeks old. I um, also do a little bit of spoken word, slam poetry, and DJing as well. I'm um, just excited to be here and talk about education, one of my favorites.
0: Yeah, congratulations on that baby boy. He is so cute. I see your pictures that you're posting. He's adorable. I bet the girls just love him to death.
1: There's there's a lot of spoiling going on. Oh, I, I uh, told
0: you. Did. He's got yeah, four moms.
1: Yeah, seriously. I, more than that, honestly. I was telling uh someone the other day, I keep getting these care packages full of things. For him, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really cool, you know. But it's really cool to have that community and, and that village around the kids. So I'm really appreciative of of all of my friends and family, even you know my my CEP family, who's shown us tremendous love as well. So
0: that's awesome. Well, thanks for being here today. You know, we I thought really hard about what I would want to talk about for this season, and and it just seems like when I talk to my educator friends. The conversations always these days start with like, oh, it's been a week or it's today was a day or, you know, I don't know how we're going to make it or I'm so exhausted. You know, I saw we I saw all of our salt board last night and, and they're just there's five of us and three of the five are assigned to a campus right now. And they're just so tired. Yeah. It undoes you you know, by the yeah. time you're, you're back at, at home or, or away from your school, you're just, you're undone. You're, you're yeah. so, and I, you know, I, and I know you, you can um, relate to Anthony. It's like, I remember coming home and just being like, my car ride away from work was silent. Like, I didn't play the radio. I needed that time to just like, yeah, be compressed and just be quiet. And those were like in normal, better times. Like those were so doing it during a pandemic when, when things shift so rapidly and and you're pivoting all of the time. Like we're, I accepted a long time ago that we make the most decisions of any profession. I think like the only other professions that make more decisions in a day are like air air flight control operators make more decisions in a day than a school administrator. But it's not that it's not just the decision making anymore. It's also the pivots that you have to make. Like you have a plan and then you have to change it because because like just cuz just been one of those
1: things. things all the things right yeah it's 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 really true like there, there are so many different buckets that you have to focus on within a day that all could turn on a dime instantly a lot of times several of them at the same time <laughs> so you know and then like you said adding on top of that being in the midst of a pandemic and all that comes with that just from a human humanity standpoint of, you know, worrying about health and safety and things of that nature, then adding those other things on, it's a lot to to think about and take on right now.
0: It really is. So we we kind of made this decision to focus on the humanistic side of things and really check in with each other and not pretend that we're okay when people say, How are you? If we're not okay, we say dude not okay, but I'll be okay. And part of the ways that we've been thinking through, like, how do you become okay again is, is digging deep and thinking of, um, you know, what are, what are the things you lean on? And, and for me, I'm a words person. I'm an avid reader. I like to read. When you write me a note, I save the note. It goes in. I journal at the end of my day. Like, I I feel like I words matter a lot to me personally. I, I, I just write things down a lot. I need to see it in print. Um, and so personal mantras with like the thing we decided we would talk about, because when I, when I said like, what are, what do you tell yourself? I mean, that's what we're doing. We're like coaching ourselves. We're, we, we have this internal dialogue that can, it, it can go both ways, but most of the time my friends and my family that are working in school houses are coaching themselves and they're saying this they're telling themselves like you're, you can do hard things you were made to do hard things this is a thing that you can actually accomplish it's only going to be for a little while and they're just talking to themselves the whole time and then they're they're saying those things out loud and letting other people affirm that yeah actually you can do, you've done a hard thing before and you survived you're gonna be able to do this so I started asking um, the guests that that we've lined up for season five like what is the personal mantra that's giving you life right now
1: this one and and it kind of spawns from the situation we're in right now because i i feel like this this pandemic has really shined a light on things that a lot of us in education especially those that work in uh populations of color have seen for years and decades and you know, however long you've been in the profession, um, this pandemic has really like illuminated, illuminated this to a larger audience. So um this is a quote and I I literally have this sticker on my laptop uh from Angela Davis, who was a member of the Black Panther Party. She's a scholar and just like feminist and, and this amazing person if you ever get a chance to read any of her literature or hear her speak. Um, and the quote is, I'm no longer accepting the things I cannot change. I'm changing the things I cannot. accept." And, and that really resonates with me for a couple of reasons. Um, I think, first of all, I mentioned Angela Davis was a member of the Black Panther Party, um, which has traditionally had a negative stigma revolving around, it Right. But I think it's really important in this time that people of color reclaim our history, reclaim our heroes, and tell our own stories and really accentuate the positive that comes from our community, right? Uh, again, there, there's a stigma around the Black Panthers, but something that's not really talked about is the free and reduced lunch programs that still operate to this day, started by the Black Panthers, free health clinic started by the Black Panthers and the Young Lords as well, who, who uh, partnered with the Black Panthers quite a bit as, uh, as just like champions of Black and brown people. But, you know, those things aren't often spotlighted. And a lot of the things that happened to them and were done to them by the government um, in their time and their day, um, it's kind of glossed over and there's this negative stigma. So that, that's the first piece, just like reclaiming and, and owning our heroes and telling their stories. And the second part is, like, that quote is dope. Like, this is the mentality we have to have, right?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> we, we have to have it. And especially, like, as people of color, we've been conditioned to be patient, right? Don't ruffle any feathers. Don't ask for too much. But, like, we, we've we been in dire situations for generations. And, and we're at a point where we can't wait anymore. All right. We can't ask for permission. We have to we have to go out and get it and we have to be the change. And I think this quote really embodies.
0: Yes. And you know, I read that quote and I thought, shit, we do wait a lot. You know, and then I was on a I was in a webinar yesterday um for NIPSE, which is the National Post Secondary Institute, and they it's on equity in post-secondary readiness and achievement, right? And so they had a reverend that was one of the keynote speakers and he's from Chicago and he was saying exactly what you just said. Like the the old hymn didn't say we shall endure. It said we shall overcome, right? right. And that hit me too where I was like, man, we... And in a broader con- context, like it's it is exactly that. Like how long, how much, how for how long and how heavy do we i mean it's just it's and i think teachers feel it too like i i don't know how much more teachers can take we're just i don't know what else we could put on their plate
1: yeah it's it's a lot and and i think this that idea of waiting is is huge in education and it really hit home. I, I was mentioning to you earlier. I'm watching the documentary on Netflix called Men, and it's about the Fourteenth Amendment and how it's placed in so in various civil rights movements throughout time. And then they have an episode called Wait, and in the episode, um, she's a current activist, uh, Brittany. Uh, Pat at Cunningham. She was really big um, in Ferguson during the Mike Brown um, protests and things of that nature. She's continued her work. Um, but she had a quote in a documentary that really stuck with me. Anytime people of color seek change or push the issue, we're asked to wait. Wait until the time is right. Wait until the situation is more conducive to change. Just wait. But in reality, this push to wait is a push to suppress progress and maintain the status quo. And like that just stuck with me.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. And
1: and there's so many examples of like what that looks like. Right. Um, I'm like doing some history and, and like doing some study in myself. And this is something I didn't know. And I'm, I'm a history person. This is something I didn't know. Uh, uh, Dr. King's letter from a birmingham jails mm-hmm. jail was written in sp- in response to white clergymen from birmingham saying that the protests were unwise and untimely and that blacks in birmingham should not be a part of the protests and work on more peaceful solutions so you're asking the people who are getting attacked by dogs and sprayed with water hoses to find more peaceful solutions right and these weren't like the conservatives these were like moderates and liberals so these are people who in all intents and purposes supported the struggle or wanted to but again there's that idea of no let's just wait let's just wait till the time is right till it's perfect but there there's there is going to be no perfect time and, and and this has just been a recurring theme throughout history, and especially as it relates to education
0: mm-hmm. and
1: work, right? So Brown versus the board. When Brown versus the board was passed, we dug our heels in with segregation. There was a district in Virginia that shut down its schools for five years to prevent integration.
0: That's right. Insane.
1: That is crazy, that is right?
0: crazy.
1: After integration, you get redlining. After redlining school to prison pipeline achievement gap, it goes on and on. And then all of this, we're asked to be patient, our time will come.
0: And this those stories, like I didn't know that about Virginia. I didn't know that about the letter. You know, I they don't get they don't get told in ways that are heard. And mm-hmm. or or locked in to somebody's memory. Right. Right. Which makes me wonder like, why is that? Why do we not know? And what happens when you do know what shifts and what changes happen? Because now, now, you know, and I was thinking about that the other day too. And thinking through like, sometimes you hear something and you, you just, just hearing it makes you stop and think like, what, wait, that yeah. cannot be right. Like that, there's no way that that would happen today in this context, that that's what's happening or or that or that, that happened so long ago and nobody did or said anything about it, right? Like that, that can't be the real thing that's happening. Um, and so I'm so curious about that documentary you were talking about. Now I'm going to go watch it because I haven't seen it. I hadn't even heard of it. But those are the things where I'm like, what could we... How how are we? How are so many people missing this? Like I just don't, I don't understand. And maybe it's because when when the stories try to be told, and when things try to when we try to make progress, it's like no, 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 no. The time's not right.
1: Right. Yeah. It's it's that, and I think I think it also goes back to that the conversation we always have, right. You always hear the system is broken. The system is broken. It's not broken. Exactly. <laughs> it's not broken at all. No, it's working perfectly exactly. fine. Right. It's working perfectly fine. And and a lot of that, and, and even going back to the, the letter from Dr. King, that's literally, next to I Have a Dream, probably his most quoted text mm-hmm. ever, right? That's where we got the um, threat to justice anywhere is a uh, threat.
0: Yeah, everywhere that,
1: right yeah. <laughs> right did just, did justice everywhere right that's where that quote comes from from that letter right so we, we have all of this context and we we pick and pull what we need um e- even from the i have a dream speech right probably one of the most quoted speeches of all times but if you go in and read the entire text it's a there's a lot more context about equity equity now we must have this, but those pieces are spotlighted. spotlighted yeah. that's by design that's part of that system not being broken working perfectly fine we we pull pick and pull what we need and in many ways we use that to to galvanize our own message right which is like we said be patient your time will come
0: yeah 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 it's hard it's hard and it's i'm thinking like i my brain is I sometimes struggle because I feel like I don't have the language to say what I want to say in a way that's going to resonate with what other people are thinking or that would result in some shift in thinking. I think is where I get hung up. It's like how how are we going to talk about this because we're conditioned to not want to make people feel uneasy. Like that's the system we've created. It's like how how do I run through all of the things that I'm feeling And make sure I'm saying it in a way that's not going to make anyone feel uneasy. And that is right. And it's crazy because then you sit back and you think, wait, why is that my problem? This is actually really what's happening. Why is you feeling uneasy? My problem. I, I, and I'm just going to say the way that it is, this is unfair. Like this is not okay.
1: It's it's unacceptable. And, and I think you, you bring up a really good point with that. Like, we as people of color often have to be the ones who are considerate of other people's feelings and emotions when we don't get that reciprocated, right? So it becomes this like hamster wheel of frustration that we're on, right? Because we have to literally argue with people about basic human rights and human dignity and we have to make it palatable for yeah. them to digest it. Otherwise there's a wall put up and there's no progress. Yeah. So it's extremely frustrating. Um, but, you know, we, we have to do the work. Like It's not something that, that we can shy away from. And I think we have to do a better job um, as people of color of like pushing that envelope and in a lot of ways, not being afraid to make people feel uncomfortable, upset, whatever it may be, because this truth has, it has to be told. And our truth has to be told. And it has to be told from a perspective that isn't traditionally presented, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was sitting with a group of people um, at a big conference, big national conference. And uh, we were talking about, we are reading an article and having a discussion about the concept of grit. And whether it's um, dominant, white dominant culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so was myself and another black lady sitting with a table full of white people. Yeah. And we're going into it, right? And, you know, the point was brought up at, yes, we feel it can be culturally biased. Here's why. Mm-hmm. And the response to that was, well, we have to have a model for What it looks like in order for it to push through, to to sustain, basically, and and my response was, well, who sets that model? Like, what is that model based on? Because if you ask me, if people of color have grit, if little black kids have grit, I'm gonna tell you, (laughs) like, they 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 got it coming out of every orifice, right? Like, that's that's literally like we we've We've been in a survival mode almost from day one of of being a part of this country. So do we have grit? Yes. Is it, does it look like what you think grit looks like? It may not, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Understand what it is for that student coming into your building every day. Right. I cannot come in as a student. I cannot come into this building and be my authentic self at any point. And it be accepted as natural, normal, right? Like, just think about that burden on top of all of the yeah. other things that we're putting in front of our students on a daily basis. It's right. overwhelming, it's stressful, it's anxiety inducing.
0: We, so, like, we, really have to. You're constantly code switching. You know, the way I talk at home is not the way I'm gonna talk at school. I'm not gonna tell you the real thing. It's a, it's frustrating.
1: It definitely is. And, and and it carries over. Like as, as an adult, I do it, you know what I mean? And, and I, I try not to do it as much. But like you know what?
0: I'm just recognizing as an, I, I'm 44 and I'm just definitely. now discovering the ways I do that. And, and, you know, a lot of this, and then this may be because I'm, I'm a San Antonian, I've lived here all my life. I've traveled lots of different places, but I've always lived in San Antonio And we are a majority minority in San Antonio. Latinx, the Latinx community is a majority minority, and so I think that I have not been able to recognize the assimilation that's occurred in my own life, in my own family history, because it's what we do here, and you know what I mean. And there's, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like I've given any particular part of my cultural identity up but when I sit back and I think like well I'm not bilingual but one generation away from me was so why is that like why do I not know how to speak Spanish when all of my grandparents spoke Spanish but they chose not to speak to me in Spanish and not to speak to my parents in Spanish and and how how did I how is our family you know um I remember when we did trans, the transcend workshop, and there was Diego was presenting his story, and he talked about how he lived out. He felt like he was the living embodiment of the American dream because his father was an immigrant to the United States who had been a migrant farmer and had um, worked his way through school with the ambition of providing a better life and different outcomes for his family. And he did, he, he earned his doctorate degree and it set his children's trajectory on a very specific path. And then, and that resonated with me so much because my grandparents um, on my, like my grandmother, she's from Monterrey, Mexico. And my grandfather, he was a fourth generation American, but His family were migrant farmers, and so he still was on, he was still in, like, a farming cycle, and they followed the crops across the United States, and he went to school when he could, like, when the crops were not in season, he was in school, Um, and he, you know, he talked to me about the reason that he joined ROTC in high school was because he needed a new pair of boots and they were giving boots out. And so um, he joined ROTC and then that sort of opened his mind about traveling and and, um, having a steady paycheck and and then also having school paid for because he knew he wouldn't be able to afford college any other way. And so anyway, Diego's story really resonated with me. And then where he took a turn was like, that worked for him and his family but his grandfather was one of like eight kids and it's he's the only one that worked for like that his story was the only in all of their family and all of the next generation. Like that was the only time that happened in that family. And it made me stop and think like, that's true for me too. Like we're the, we are not the rule, like the hard work, the bootstrapping, the, the finding a way out, the wanting the American dream that happened in like this much of my family, the, it's not true, like across the board, and so that start that started in me, um, like a, I don't curiosity is not strong enough of a word, like a conviction or a, just a wanting to know, like what has happened that I'm just not aware, like I it's not it wasn't on my radar until these last few years.
1: Well, I think it goes back to that. That idea of system, right? Um, we we were in an REI workshop last week and they talked about uh invisibility of power and how when power is invisible, that's when inequity thrives. These things are meant to be invisible, right? Like it's it's meant to be uh things that basically perpetuate themselves even effort at this point um
0: which is probably why i don't have the language to describe it
1: yeah and 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 the language is the language is there though if you dig deep enough so one blew my mind in 1779 thomas jefferson proposed a two-track educational system with different tracks for the laboring and the learned Scholarships will be allowed for a select few of the laboring class to advance by raking a few geniuses from the rubbish. <laughs> right. Those are Thomas Jefferson's words, one of yes. our founding fathers. Right. Right. So this, this is how this has been interwoven into the fabric of our society. Right. Right. And. This is why we don't know. This, but, but we we've all upheld these structures that uphold this dominant culture, whether consciously or unconsciously. I, as a teacher, especially working in in the charter world, I've done it right, I, and I've done things that I felt uneasy about or unsure about, and. Now, looking back with the knowledge I have and, and the reading and, and research and things that I've done, it's very clear and obvious to me. Yeah. Like as a young teacher trying to get in a position or or further my career, I did it. And, you know, I would justify it by saying, well, when I get in a position of power, I'll do things differently. But that goes back to that patient part right because the reality is even at that time as a teacher as a young teacher as a teacher leader i had power i had voice but towing the line to get to to get to the perfect time or the perfect position to make the change kept me from well not kept me from it 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 had me do things that i know now like i feel terrible about yeah you know and and I can say, luckily, I I have great relationships with most of my students that I've had in the past and I can have those conversations with them now. But in that moment, I did it. I followed I followed the law, followed the the letter of the law. Right. So we, we really have to look deeper into what these systems are both on a large scale and at a smaller scale, just going in, on your campus, in your classroom, and find ways to like, begin to dismantle these systems because they're harming kids and harming communities. And a lot of times the kids and the communities get the blame. Yeah. It's never the system, right? It's never the system. It can't be the system. It has to be the kids. It has to be their parents. It has to be their upbringing. It has to be their environment. But, on a larger scale, what's caused those environments, right? The achievement gap is a a a a result of a larger gap that exists, right? San Antonio is still one of the most economically segregated cities in this country. When schools were desegregated, we ran lined. I, I don't know too many major cities that have as many school districts as we have here in San Antonio, right? That's that's by design.
0: Seventeen and, and it's than 40 charter operators.
1: Right. So, and, and it's till we can really examine as a whole, and not just people of color, we've been examining it, right? Like, we've been examining mm-hmm. it. A, as a whole, as a society, until so we can examine these systems and have some real conversations, they're going to continue to perpetuate.
0: Yeah. Which brings us back to your mantra, right? Like, you're, we, we stop accepting stuff that we can't change and change the stuff we can't accept
1: that's the hard part
0: It is. that's the hard part where do you start right like what what is the thing that you have power over to change um what are where where do you where do you push in where do you where do you find the spot where you say like this is the thing that I know I can shift right now and for me it's been like taking a real deep personal dive into my family history and into the history of our city and into um, topics on on racism and what anti-racism means and what that looks like and what racism means and bias and privilege um, and, and unpacking the privilege I live with mm-hmm. and, and the privilege that I don't have um, being a woman of color and, and owning that and, and recognizing that I, there are ways of being that I have perpetuated and that I have, um, been affected by, you know, that, that maybe I didn't take the time to recognize or I pushed it off as like, this is just the way that it is. Um, and so, I'm still uncovering all of that. That is a learning journey for me. And when I feel like I've gained some confidence around that, then I think I can I can dive a little deeper. Um, but for me too, it's like amplifying these stories and sitting down and choosing that this is what we're going to talk about today. You know, that that is an in for me where I can say, I can do this now. Um, but you have some other ideas too, right? Like. I, we're we're in an election
1: cycle in our city. Oh man, <laughs> so, uh, the, the, so many things we could discuss with with just elections <laughs> and politics. We, I, I think it it all starts with like you said, just educating, yourself, right? It, like the the what Morpheus say in the Matrix: "Do you want to know how deep the red hole goes?" Right? Exactly. You really have to, you really have to dive in, and I, I, I really like that you brought up the idea of privilege. Because I think that is the best place to start because even marginalized people have privilege. Absolutely. Right? So, just beginning that examination of what privileges do I have? Like, as a Black man, I know that I have privilege as it relates to women of color, right? Because oftentimes women of color are mistreated even within their own culture race whatever I I, whatever they identify with right so I have to understand the power that I wield there and the changes that I need to make to heal my community from within right as well as like looking to the exterior and and ways to heal so I I like educating education is like the biggest piece and I think especially as yeah educators
0: as a female, I have privilege being a cisgender female. Like that is a huge privilege that I have not recognized in my own life. And so I haven't helped clear the path for people who don't have that same privilege, you know?
1: Yeah. And I, I that that's the biggest piece. And I think once you once you begin to like peel back the layers there, then it's about like authentically connecting with communities. Right. Cause like we often like feel like we're connected or we, we do what we feel is, is the best way to connect, but we're not, we're not touching bases and, and, and checking in, tapping in with the people and, and hearing from them what they need or what they expect. And so you, you can't authentically make change if you're making assumptions. Right. There, there's a difference between having the best intentions and being intentional. <laughs> you know what I mean, so like like I can I, in my brain, I can say, "Oh, this community needs this, and they will be better." If I haven't had a conversation with that community, I cannot authentically say that's what they need, and that's where the frustration comes in because now you have these symbolic gestures. we saw a lot of it over the summer, right? We have these symbolic gestures that aren't structural or systemic change, which furthers the frustration you know, so like that, that's like that, that authentic connection. And then also like, just take time to learn about the issues that oppressed communities have been through over time. A lot of the stuff that's going on right now has been going on. It may look different. It may look different. It may have a different name, but It's the same philosophy perpetuating itself. And if you don't look again, like if you don't see how deep the rabbit hole goes, you think that this is something new or that those things are ancient history. I've had people tell me segregation was ancient history. My mother went to segregated schools up until high school.
0: You know what what I mean? That's what I'm uncovering. It's like, no, wait a minute. This was like this. This just happened. It's still yeah. happening. It's not yeah. ancient history.
1: Yeah. So it, it, that that piece is really important. So I, like you have to start there. And, and I think once you, once you've educated yourself, then that next step is find your passion, find your lane, find your voice, and find your tribe. And like, I like, I think it has to be in that order, right? What are you passionate about? Because things you're passionate about, you're going to go hard for, right? Like you're you're going to push because it means something. It's more than just idea, right? Once you find that passion, you need to figure out what's your lane within that. Like where where can you specifically pinpoint to make change? And then from there, find that voice and begin to speak out. When you begin to speak out, you're going to find people who have the same ideals as you. And that's when you create your tribe. Like I, I tell you all the time, like, I probably still wouldn't be in education right now if I didn't meet you in <laughs> Like honestly. And it was so refreshing. I don't know if you remember that first time we sat down at the Pearl, you and I, and I told you about my idea for what I wanted to do at my school. And just like feeling your energy from the other side of the table, I was like, yo, somebody else thinks that, like this can be done, like no, like and, and so like finding your tribe is super important because that's where you restore, that's where you renew, that's where you re-energize. Because like we said earlier, it's, it's like you're you're fighting a brick wall,
0: mm-hmm.
1: your bare hands. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna need to have people who can, who you can talk to, who you can vent to, who can you can bounce ideas off of who you can collaborate with to kind of attack this monster, because if not, you're going to burn out and, and you're not going to get far. So yeah. like that, that's like that, I think that's really important. Like those, those four steps to, uh, believe.
0: for sure. And I think, you know, when you find, when you are able to link link in with other people, your power is amplified And so connecting with you was pivotal for me because I was already at a point of like burnout and, and have, and feeling like I was fighting that brick wall with my bare hands. I was feeling that. And then it just happened that we were in the same place at the same time. And it was like, oh man, actually you can change the thing you can't accept. Like that is that is an actual, that's not a hope. It's not a bumper sticker. Like you're doing it. you you wrote a vision for a school because there were things that you couldn't accept anymore. And now we're, we're right around the corner from that school, like existing. And that is like, that is so inspirational to me where I am like, things can change. Sometimes you feel like it's never going to change. It's so gonna be this way, and then you and then you meet someone who's like doing the thing that's gonna make it different, and and so I just want to say like I that was years ago, which is crazy to me. That company, <laughs> you just mentioned was like two years ago, which is so crazy. But I I just want to say thank you for doing it and for being yeah. here two years later right around the corner from, from making that change
1: happen. I I definitely appreciate you and, and, and the work you've done and and poured into me. Um, It it really means a lot because this is scary. (laughs) I'm going to lie. (laughs) I think that like, you know, that's the biggest thing, like taking, taking the leap, right. Cause it's really easy to, Especially education, it's really easy to like stay in that comfort zone, right. I probably go work for a district or work for a charter or even a private whatever it may be right now and not have to worry about half of the things, right but when when it's something that you're passionate about and when it's something that that you really uh care about you you have to take the leap, even if it's scary, right. And that could be anything that could be going into leadership. That could be running for a school board, pushing legislation or just advocating for your students you have to be willing to like put yourself out there to make that change. Because if we're just talking about it around the egg in the break room, like I'm just really going to get done. You know what I mean? So you, you really have to, to be willing. And, and I, I like, I'm not going to lie. Like this was, it, it was a, it was a leap and I wasn't always sure if the leap was going to work out, but you know, I'm, I'm glad I took it. And I'm glad I took the chance and the opportunity. um, And, you know, I willing in a few months we'll be, we'll be getting ready to launch this school and, and plan it for our year one. So um, I'm really excited and, and I, I just, I can't wait to see the work we're going to do in the community because that's what it's.
0: Yeah, I'm super excited for you. I really am. And I appreciate so much that you took the time to talk to me today. I, I always feel like I am smarter when I talk to you. Which I say often, for especially for the people that i I esteem highly and and want to be on the podcast, but i it's selfish because i I ask you I ask you guys to come onto the podcast so I can be smarter um so I can have the language and so I can um, figure out what my place is and where i can where I can lead and where I can serve, because I think for me it's in the service more than anything else um Definitely. so like every time i talk to you mm-hmm. i i recognize that you have the heart of a of a, like of service and you want to serve the community you want to serve your students and and i appreciate that and so it makes me better um because of it so thanks for spending this time with me today
1: oh thank you thank you
0: I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miseducation. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.